Starting in the early Renaissance and going through to the early 19th century, an intellectual community developed in Europe and later in the Americas. This community wasn't in any particular geographic place, but rather was a network of intellectuals who shared their ideas about philosophy, science, and politics. This network was informally known as the Republic of Letters. Learn more about the Republic of Letters and the Network of Enlightenment Thinkers on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer plus get $20 off your first order. The Republic of Letters has no definitive start time, nor does it have any particular end time, and despite its name, it wasn't even limited to letters. The rise of intellectual culture in Europe at the time of the Renaissance is often attributed to the spread of the printing press. There's a lot of truth to that, and I don't want to diminish the role that the printing press played. However, the printing press was really a broadcast technology. You could print a book, or more likely a pamphlet, and have it widely dispersed so a large number of people could hear whatever idea was published. It served a very important purpose. However, the vast majority of what most literate people consumed and even read was not necessarily in the form of printed material. Very early on, books were still rare and expensive, so someone who owned even a few books could say that they had an extensive library. Most of the reading and writing which people engaged in was in the form of letters. Letters were the way of closing the loop with published material. If you published a book, another person who read that book, oftentimes in a different country, could write back to you to start a dialogue about that or another subject. Letter writing began well before the Renaissance and the prominence of the printing press. 
The first use of the term Republic of Letters actually came from a letter written by Francesco Barbaro sent to Paggio Bracolini in 1417. Both of these men were early Italian Renaissance scholars and humanists. The Res Publica Literaria, as it was known in Latin, was simply all the scholars in their circle of letter writing with whom they would have had contact with. At this point in time, most of the people they would have been in touch with would have been in Italy, but this circle soon spread. The citizens of the Republic of Letters were known as Men of Letters. Being a man of letters was not just an indication that you were literate, but also that you had a curious mind and engaged with other men of letters as well. And I should also add at this time, it was pretty much all men. The Republic of Letters really developed into a robust network in the 17th century with the rise of the Enlightenment. It was the writing of letters, not the publishing of books or articles, which was at the heart of intellectual life. Today, communication is so easy that we don't usually put much thought into the things we write. A tweet, a text message, or an email might be an ephemeral thing that we don't even bother to save. However, in the 17th century, you would have to put a great deal of thought and time into every letter you wrote and received. The better part of the day, for many scholars, might have been the reading and writing of letters. Moreover, it was very uncommon to throw letters away. It was the norm to keep and preserve all correspondences, and this is why we still have so many correspondences from leading figures of this period. The French philosopher Montesquieu wrote a book in 1721 titled The Persian Letters. In it, he lampoons French society by looking at it through the lens of two Persian visitors to Paris. In the book, one of the characters, who is an astronomer, says, quote, I have very little contact with people, and among those I do see, there are none that I know. But there's this man in Stockholm, another in Leipzig, and another in London, whom I have never seen, and no doubt shall never see, that I maintain such a regular correspondence that I never fail to write each of them with every mail. End quote. The international nature of the Republic of Letters starting in the 17th century was one of its defining characteristics. In fact, because so many letters from leading intellectuals have survived, a team from Stanford University created a database of all the letters that were held by Oxford University. They had 55,000 letters from 6,400 authors. They then laid this data on a map so you could see exactly who was writing to who, where, and when. What they found is that the Republic of Letters was really a connection of smaller, mostly national networks. In a very odd way, the personal letter-writing networks of the Enlightenment eerily mirror the topology of the Internet today. Voltaire mostly wrote to people in France. David Hume mostly wrote to people in Britain. However, the letters sent between countries were often the most important, because that is how ideas would move from one local network to another. The capital of the Republic of Letters probably would have been Paris, but with large nodes in other major European cities, such as London, Berlin, Dublin, Stockholm, Leipzig, Geneva, and many others. One of the most important items for men of letters would have been their desk. Desks from that period were some of the most elaborate and exquisite pieces of furniture ever designed. My desk today is nothing more than a flat table where I can put my computer monitors, keyboard, and mouse. Back then, they would have been very elaborate, often standing desks, sometimes with dozens of drawers for filing correspondences. There would be often 10 to 20 hidden compartments in some desks to hide correspondences from prying eyes. Letter writing also became an essential part of early life in America. Many of the founding fathers became acquainted with each other before the start of the revolution, before they ever met in person. Corresponding across the Atlantic was much more time-consuming than sending letters from within Europe. Correspondences between Americans and Europeans might only be able to occur a few times a year, given the distances involved. One of the greatest letter writers in early America was Benjamin Franklin, who, in addition to his domestic network, had extensive personal networks in both England and France. 
While letter writing was obviously central to the Republic of Letters, as I mentioned before, it wasn't just letters. The Republic of Letters was an ill-defined community of scholars and intellectuals. The 17th century saw the founding of academies and societies which were sort of in-person and more official versions of a letters network. The academies I'm talking about are not universities, which date back much earlier. These are institutions like the Royal Society of London and the French Academy of Science. They began to spring up in the mid to late 17th century and were in most European countries by the early 18th century. These societies, almost always headquartered in national capitals or major cities, offered a place where live lectures, experiments, and demonstrations could be held and didn't require the tedious process of writing letters to every single person individually. These societies would also often publish a journal where members could write articles about their work. Again, it was much more of an efficient system than writing individual letters. And these journals would be sent to other societies in different countries. Many journals arose that had no affiliation with any society. They were simply run as businesses, no different than a newspaper. The other major part of the Republic of Letters in the 17th and 18th centuries were salons. Salons were private events held at homes with a select list of invitees. They were usually centered around philosophy, literature, or politics. The tradition of salons began back in Italy during the Renaissance when people would gather to exchange and discuss ideas at aristocratic or royal courts. Salon culture was probably strongest in France. And I mentioned before that most men of letters were, in fact, men. Salons, however, were almost always hosted by women. In addition to the discussion of ideas, there was, of course, also petty intrigue and gossip, which infected most salons as well. Salons never really died out completely, and there has been a bit of a revival in recent years as people have looked for an alternative to digital communication. There really isn't that much of a difference between a salon and a party, other than a salon tends to be a lower-key affair and probably doesn't have loud music or dancing. Parallel to the salon culture was the coffeehouse culture. Whereas salons were more popular in France, coffeehouses were more popular in German-speaking countries in Europe and in England. Coffeehouses had the benefit that you could go whenever it was open, and it didn't require an invitation. People went to coffeehouses to hear the latest news and discuss current events. Many early newspapers actually got their start in coffee houses. And coffee houses had several benefits over a pub, in that the lack of alcohol tended to make for better conversation, and of course, fewer fistfights. They often had associations, or at least a proximity, to a university. The first coffee house in England, for example, was opened in 1650 in Oxford. In cities like London, some people called runners would actually run from coffee house to coffee house with news updates. The Republic of Letters is believed to have died out by the middle of the 19th century, and it was due to many different social and technical changes. The rise of the telegraph and improvement in transportation such as the railroad and steam-powered ships made communications much easier. Printing became better and cheaper, which allowed for news and opinion to be more widely distributed. Also, a more formalized academic system of publishing and research, plus the increased complexity of the topics, brought many of the scientific discussions fully under the umbrella of the university. I've done many episodes where I've talked about scientists, scholars, and ideas from this period of time in Europe. Undoubtedly, there were some great and innovative thinkers from this period. However, it wasn't done in a vacuum. There was an exchange of ideas that took place which led to many of the scientific and social advances of the Enlightenment. This exchange of ideas was conducted over several centuries by the citizens of the Republic of Letters. Everything Everywhere Daily is an Airwave Media podcast. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. Today's review comes from listener Christine Maynard over at CastBox. She writes, Thanks for all the hard work you put into these. I look forward to each new one. 
Well, thank you, Christine. It's a lot of work, but just like all of you, it gives me an opportunity to learn new things every single day. And remember, if you leave a review or send a boostagram, you too can have it read right on the show.